Joseph, like us, came out of dysfunctional family. So we learned that, you know what, every one of our families are dysfunctional. There's no such thing as a perfect family. There's no such thing. Uh, we, there may be different degrees of dysfunction, but the truth is we all come out of a dysfunctional family. And so we started the journey and looking at Joseph's life. And this, today, we're going to look at the issue that many times God uses, in fact, is a lot of times God uses adversity in our life. And we're going to look at that, how it relates to Joseph. And we're going to look at that, how it relates to us. Uh, uh, Josh Hamilton, who is now playing for the, the Texas Rangers, uh, has, a, has a story of his life. I mean, he's number one uh, a draft pick, uh, but because of drugs and alcohol, and he was strung out on drugs and, and uh, went through a difficult time. The fact is, Josh Hamilton was totally out of baseball. And um, through a series of events, through some adversity in his life, through his wife and some other things that were going on in his life, uh, Josh Hamilton meets Christ. And Josh Hamilton and his wife and his family are a part of Gateway Church in Dallas, Texas, and to where he's a part of a life group and, and all of that other stuff. And so Josh Hamilton talks a lot about what God has done for him in his life. And the fact is when the Texas Rangers uh, when they won the American uh, League West title, uh, in Oakland, uh, Josh Hamilton knew the tradition and what would happen in the, in the clubhouse with the champagne and the beer spraying and all that other stuff. And he knew because of his addictions, because of his past, he could not go in there. And so as a, as a team went into the clubhouse to celebrate the, the, the win, Josh Hamilton went into the stands and joined his life group. That's what church is about. That's what a life group is about. And he sat with his life group, and they, they talked, and they prayed, and they celebrated. Well, his teammates knew that because he waited for everyone to clear out of the clubhouse, and he went into the clubhouse and showered and cleaned up and then went on to the hotel and met his wife and friends. When the Texas Rangers uh, won their division, uh, game five with Tampa Bay, his teammates knew that they wanted to celebrate with Josh because they're a family. And so they went and grabbed Josh after the win and said, you're coming with us. And when he went into the, the, the clubhouse, they screamed ginger ale. <laughs> and they broke tradition. And they hosed everybody down with ginger ale because they're a team and they're a family. And they, they win as a family and they lose as a family. They win as a family and they celebrate as a family. What a wonderful testimony of a person that comes to Christ and and changes his life and then as a result it changes a clubhouse and changes how people celebrate and changes how people relate to one another and and so Josh and his wife write and talk and I've heard their testimony about how God used adversity difficulty in their life to bring Josh to Christ to do some things in their life there, there's probably testimonies in this room how God used adversity difficulty in your life to bring you to Christ. Maybe God's used adversity in your life to deepen your life with Christ or to deepen your trust in God. But when we're going to look at this issue this morning, Genesis chapter 37, uh, I'm going to read the verses here, and then I'm going to pull three points out for us about how to deal with this issue of adversity, how to deal with it when it comes, because here's the deal. The question is this. The question is not if adversity is going to come. The question is not when is it going to come. Here's the question. How are you and I going to deal with adversity when it comes? The question is not with. The question is not timing because adversity for you may come differently than someone else. It may come differently than Josh Hamilton. Adversity to you may come in the form of a pink slip. 
Adversity to you may come in the form of marriage problems. Adversity for you may come in the form of a problem with a child. Adversity with you may come in the form of a downturn in an economy. Adversity for you may come in the betrayal of a friend, betrayal of a mate. Adversity for you may come in a number of different avenues, ways, and processes and paths into your life. The question is not if or when adversity is going to come. The question is this. How are you going to handle it? How are you going to deal with it? And how are you going to process it out in your life? Genesis chapter 37. Watch this as we just walk through this story. Now his brothers, uh, Joseph's brothers, went to pastor their father's flock near, near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are, you not, are not your brothers pastoring the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to them, to him, here I am. So he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and, and with the flock, and bring me a word. Jacob's is a passive dad. What kind of dad would do this? I mean, remember we learned last week that his brothers hated Joseph? They couldn't speak a kind word about him. They couldn't speak peacefully with him. There is no conversation. Listen, Jacob is a passive dad. He's not even involved in the family. He's not even involved in the dynamics of, of his children and of his family. He is putting Joseph in a dangerous situation. Remember, there's favorites in the family and all of this other stuff that's going on. And now he's putting Joseph into a difficult situation basically to come back and, and tell on him. Let me know how they're doing. Let me know the things that are going on. So here we go. Verse, we'll carry. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? He said, I'm seeking my brothers, he said. And, and so tell me, please, where, where they are pastoring the flock. And the man said, they've gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. And so Joseph went after his brothers and found him at Dothan. And, and they said... They saw him from afar, and, uh, and before he came near to them, they, well, they conspired against him and to kill him. They hated him. What kind of dad would put a son in a situation, a position like this, and not be involved in a family to know the dynamics and what's going on? And so they said to one another, here comes the dreamer, so they're going to call him some names. And so they said, come now, let us, let us uh, kill him and throw him in, into one of the pits and and then we will say, so here's the cover-up, then we'll say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and, and, we will, uh, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, that's another brother, when Ru Reuben heard it, he rescued him, Joseph out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. Let me just stop right there. Everyone needs a Reuben in their life. Everyone needs a Reuben in their life. When the critics come, when people are conspiring to hurt you, to talk about you, to gossip you, to, about you, to judge you, to do things to hurt you, everybody needs a Reuben in their life that will stand up and say, no, even against the tide. No, I know that person. No, I love that person. No, I care for that person. And not only does everybody need a Reuben in their life, but guess what? You need to be a Reuben in someone else's life. You need to be a Reuben in someone else's life that you you love them no matter what and you encourage them no matter what and you support them so he rescued them out of their hands saying let's not take his life and Reuben said to them shed no blood throw him into to this pit here in the wilderness and but do not lay a hand on him 
so that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. And so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe and the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. And it's so important. And so they sat down to eat. Boy, talk about being cold. Um, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites uh, coming from Gilead, and, and their, their camels were bearing gum and balm and myrrh and on their way to carry it down to Egypt. And so... Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him. So they're having this discussion, and guess what? They excluded Reuben from all of this. Reuben's not a part of this conversation. For he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers listened to him. And then Midianite traders passed by, and they threw Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for for 20 shekels of silver and so they took Joseph to Egypt and when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit he tore his clothes it's deep grief and he returned to his brothers and said the boy is gone and and where shall I go and then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped his the robe in blood and they sent the robe of many colors uh, and brought it to their father and said uh, this we have found, which is the first lie. Uh, please identify whether it's your son's robe or not. Secondly, they knew it was. And so Jacob identified it and said, This is my son's robe, and a fierce animal has devoured him, and Joseph is without a doubt torn into pieces. And then Jacob tore, tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son for many days. And his son and all of his daughters rose to comfort him comfort him that would be telling him the truth right comfort him would not be concealing the truth if they truly wanted to comfort him they could have said dad joseph's still alive then all of his sons and daughters rose to comfort him but he refused to be comforted and said no i shall go down to shoal in my son's mourning thus his father wept for him and so just three things I want to give you this morning I got a lot of sub points as we walk through this uh, this, this is just a lot of information and so the first thing is this when, when we deal with adversity in life remember that there's always a purpose for adversity now this may be something we don't like this may be something that we're a little uncomfortable with but we have got to understand there is always a purpose for adversity it's easy to look back on Josh Hamilton's life and say yep there was a purpose for, for adversity in his life I mean we'll look at the testimony look what God has done Josh Hamilton is an MVP candidate right now his baseball career is co completely turned around more importantly his family has turned around more importantly his spiritual life his relationship with God has turned in life around there is always a purpose for adversity that we go through and sure there's positive there's negative and there's a goal the positive is this maybe you've learned this it stimulates spiritual and emotional growth and I got to tell you I have grown more through adversity than any, uh, I've grown more through adversity than the great celebrations and the great times of my life. There is something about adversity that stimulates emotional and spiritual growth. There's something about when you're in the pit and you have your family taken away from you and you have your, your, your robe where you found your identity and your purpose and you lose everything and you learn. And you learn that, guess what? God's love is deeper than any pit you will ever be in. I don't care how deep the pit you're in. 
I don't how, care how dark, how empty it is. God's love is deeper than any pit you will ever go through in life. And there's something about adversity in life. There's something about that that stimulates growth to know that, that man, God's with me in the pit. God ministers to me in the pit, and I can trust him. There's the negative thing about, about adversity is this. We can't allow it to defeat us and destroy us. You can put two people in the same situation. One will come out bitter. One will come out better. I mean, you look at Joseph, and you look at his brothers, and you look at the dysfunctional family that he was raised in. They were all in the same family. They all dealt with the same issues, maybe a little bit different way. And you watch his brothers walked away bitter, and Joseph walked away better, and he healed. There's something about regardless of the dysfunction of the family that you or I, I was, I was transparent about the dysfunctional family that I was raised in. But there has to come the time when you quit blaming and you quit blaming a mom, and you quit blaming a dad, and you quit blaming an ex-wife, an ex-husband. You quit blaming a situation. You quit blaming a, a boss or a supervisor, someone that betrayed you and hurt you. That you come to the point to where you find healing, and you release them, and you walk on. So there, there can be a negative, but there, there's the ultimate goal is this. The ultimate goal is for greater trust of God. And there's something about a pit. There's something about the darkness. There is something about when you and I learn that, you know what? Even though everybody else walks away from me, that God will never walk away from me. Can you imagine what was going through Joseph's mind as he sat in that pit, no food, no water, the way that the cisterns were built in their day? There was no way that he could climb out on his, on his own. And everything had been stripped away. And guess what? Some things needed to be stripped away from from him. I mean, Joseph lost everything. He lost a coat of many colors, and it was more than a coat. It's where he found his purpose. It's where he found his identity. It's uh, where he found meaning in life. It's where he found purpose. It was temporal. He lost his coat. He lost a dad that he loved. He lost a family. He lost his home. I mean, he lost everything. And, and yeah, the truth is, he was a little arrogant in the, the family that he was raised in. He was insensitive about the coat. I mean, he rubbed the coat in his brother's face to let him know that dad loves me more than he loves you. Dad's more pleased with me. He gave me a coat. He didn't give you a coat. And so he's insensitive about the coat. He was insensitive about the dreams. He said, not only does Dad loved me more than me, but more than you, but guess what? God loves me more than you. I mean, look at the dream. Look at one day, you're, one day everybody's going to bow, even the moon and the stars, one day everybody is going gonna, is gonna to bow down to me. You see, in the pit, I believe, started Joseph on a path of healing to where he began to take responsibility for his life, his actions. A Christian is this. A Christian is someone who is willing to own their sin, to own their stuff, to own their junk, and no longer blame. No longer blame a dad or a mom or an ex-wife, an ex-husband, or relationships, or people that have hurt you or betrayed you, or maybe a boss, or, or maybe someone influential in your life. And here's the crazy thing. God used Joseph's brothers 
in Joseph's life. It, it helped Joseph understand some things in his life that, that needed to go. And second thing is this, is that oftentimes through adversity, uh, critics are involved. You ever notice that? A lot of times when we go through adversity and we go through difficulty, critics are evolving. And, and, and definition of critics, just so we understand each other, is someone that's always finding fault. I mean, it's, it's someone that can always find fault and can always pick out what you should have done better, how you could do it better, regardless of the results. Here's just a few things about critics that we can pull out of the Scripture. The first thing is this, and you, but you probably already have seen this, and you probably already know this, and, uh, but, but, the, but here's the truth. Critics always run in packs, and critics always run in groups, right? I mean, they always, I mean, critics, they... They always want to get as many people to join the cause. They always want to talk to as many people as they can to talk about you, to judge you, to criticize you. Uh, you find this all the way through Scripture. I mean, Jesus had to deal with critics. I mean, they were called Pharisees. Listen, the Pharisees didn't want healing. The Pharisees didn't want to see other people get healed. The Pharisees didn't want to learn Scripture better. Uh, you don't see any of this. Critics, the, the Pharisees, they just wanted to find, they wanted to find fault. And guess what? The Pharisees never talked to Jesus one-on-one. They always got a group together. Oh, and the Pharisees? The Pharisees said Jesus was a failure. Remember that? But God said Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the perfect one. Your critics do not define who you are. Critics always travel in groups. Watch this. Verse 20. Come now. So they see him coming. And he said, come now, let us kill him and throw him in, into one of the pits and then we'll, we'll say that a fierce animal has devoured many, uh, has devoured him and we'll, we will see what, what will become of his dreams. And they had their group, they had their conspira conspiracy and they're not even interested in talking to Joseph to find healing. The healthy thing would have done for his brothers to say, here comes Joseph, let's talk to him. Maybe he doesn't understand how hurtful it is when he wears that robe. Maybe he doesn't understand how hurtful it is when he lets us know that dad loves him more than he loves us. Maybe he doesn't know how hurtful it was when he shared that dream that God gave him that one day we will all bow down to him. You see, critics critics just attack people and, well, critics make everything personal and cut you to the core. They don't deal with the facts. They don't deal with the evidence. So critics always travel in a group. But the second thing is this, is critics always mock people. They make fun of people. They mock people. They call people by names. They, they, well, just look, verse 19. So they said to one another, this is what the brothers said, here comes this dreamer. We'll call him some names. We'll give him a title. And so they were jealous of him. They were jealous about the coat. They were jealous about his dad's love to him. They were jealous about the dreams. And that's usually what motivates a lot of people. That's sometimes what motivates a lot of, a lot of critics. And so Acts 7, 9 says this, and the patriarchs, uh, jealous of Joseph, said to him into Egypt, sold him into Egypt. And then here's my favorite phrase, but God was with him. God is with you in the pit. 
God is with you in adversity. God is with you in difficulty. God is with you when everyone is circled around you, criticizing you and, 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 and complaining about you and cutting you to the, 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 the core. And we have critics today. And critics today will say the same thing and do the same thing. Critics today will say things like, and you call yourself a Christian? How can you behave like that? And you go to church. They make it personal. They cut you to the core. You say you want to get closer to God in you. When you do that, critics always run in a group. Critics always mock people. Third thing is this, critics always lie. Because they got to get their conspiracy. they got to get their group. they got to get people to agree with them because that's what gives them worth. That's what gives them meaning. Watch this. Come now. Let us kill and throw him into one of the pits, and then we'll say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and, and we will see what, what will become of his dreams now. And so there's, there's always a cover-up. There's always... There's always a lie. They weren't going to go to their father and tell him the truth. Can I just say something just real quick? This is just, this is just for free. A lie always follows deliberate sin. A lie is common. doesn't matter what the sin is. A lie is common in all sin. Because once the deliberate act of sin has been committed, the individual now needs to cover up. There is always a lie associated with every sin. The same is true in Joseph's life. And watch this, verse 31. And so they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors uh, and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it's your son's robe or not. They knew whether it was his robe. They're the one that stripped it off of his back. And he identified and he said, yeah, it's my father's, my son's robe and a fierce animal has devoured him. And Joseph is without a doubt torn into pieces. Then Jacob tore his garment and put a sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son for, for many days. And critics will always try to get more and more people to join their group. And fourth thing is this, is critics will always, so important, critics will always justify their actions. His brothers were no different. Many critics today, you know what? They're no different. The, the, the phrase, when they says, then we'll see what comes of his dreams, they were justifying their actions because they said, you know what? We throw him in the pit, we murder him or whatever. His dreams will not come true, and then it will justify our actions. It will justify our actions because obviously he was wrong. So the brothers felt we are justified. Man, we are justified if the dreams do not come true, see, and they wanted to destroy Joseph, and they wanted to show that his, his dreams were, were false, but it's pretty much the same way that the Jews justified killing Christ. Matthew 27, 39 and 43 says, and those who passed by derided him and wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. If you're really Him, come down now. When He didn't come down, immediately, when they said, now we're justified in killing you. Critics, 
will always justify their actions. So also the chief priests and the scribes and elders mocked him, saying he saved others and he cannot save himself. He is the king of, of Israel. Let him come down now, right now, from the cross, and then we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let him deliver him now. If he desires him, for, for he said, I'm the son of God. Jews are saying, you know what? If you're really the son of God, then come, now, come down now from the cross and, and we'll see. And many critics will justify, will justify their actions. I'm just trying to help you. I'm just trying to point out some blind spots. I'm just trying to make you better. Uh, you ever felt like a critic helped you? That's right. You, 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 you can put two people in the same situation. You can put two people in the same worship service. And one walks out and talks about all that God is doing and people getting saved and people deepening in ministry. And another group talks about all that was wrong with the service. All that they should have done better. Critics will always justify their actions. We... I try to help as many pastors and other churches as I can. And I mean, it was just a cool deal. Saturday night, we had a, a staff from another church in town, the pastor and worship leader and some other leaders of their church. They came and took part in their Saturday night service so they could see what we do and learn from us. And, and you know what? A lot of our pastors, we talked to them after it and said, you know what? Anything we have, it's God's. We'll, we'll give anything we have away. We'll do whatever we can to help you because, you know what? It's not just about Fellowship of the Rockies, Right. I mean, it's about raising the water line of all churches. It's about trying to help all churches, not only our community, but churches as well. Um, and so we just had a great conversation. But a lot of pastors that I talk with when, and try to help them, and I'm just so thankful that we don't have those situations here that some churches deal with, to our worship service can be going on, and you always got that group of people that are out in the halls or out in a foyer or out in a welcome center, and they're talking about all that's going wrong in that service. And how God could be doing, or they could be doing things better. And so, and, and they always do it under the context, under the pretense of, we're just trying to make it better. And, and that's what they were doing. I mean, I wonder what was on Joseph's heart and mind when he was in that pit. Look at his brothers. Look at those that were criticizing him. There's no food. There's no water. Joseph's not going to live long. Verse 25, then they sat down to eat. Can I just tell you this? Critics don't care about you. They care about their agenda. Can you talk about, can you think about how cold-hearted that was to throw their brother in a pit and then sit down and have a meal? Joseph, I mean, when you read the context, they, it's like they sat down right at the opening to where Joseph could probably hear them say, hey, could you pass the steak or could you pass the baked potato? Or I need more water to drink. They didn't care about that because their agenda is their preferences. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites, and so they began making a, a plan to sell him to Egypt, which would fulfill God's plan. And so 
The last thing is this, is how are we going to respond to adversity in our life? That's the real question. What is the way, what is a proper response to handle adversity? Because the question is not when, and the question is not if. The question is this, how are you going to respond? Because I'm telling you, as a pastor, I talk to people all the time. That their struggle in life is something that happened to them in the past. And they haven't found healing. And they haven't processed out through it. So here's some things that adversity reveals about us and about others. The first thing is this. Adversity reveals the truth about me. You go through adversity, you realize real quickly what you're capable of thinking. You realize real quickly what you're capable of doing. You realize real quickly how much you love someone, how much you don't love someone, how much you, you learn. It helps you understand the values that you hold. Listen, the truth is, the coat had to go in Joseph's life. That's where his identity was. That's where his approval was. Now, today, we may not have a coat, but our approval may be in what we do. Our approval may be in our success. Our approval may be in a marriage. Our approval may be in what a mom or a dad says about us or someone close says to us. But the truth is this, the coat had to go in Joseph's life. His brothers hated that coat. He used that coat to, to lord over them. And, and the truth is this, Joseph held on tighter to that coat than he did to God. What needs to go in your life? What are you holding on to tighter that is more important to you than God? That is where you get your self-image, where is where you get your identity, which where you get your purpose, because I'm telling you this. You hold on to anything tighter than him, you will never have peace and you will never have comfort in life. Because if you ever lose that in your identity and purpose and self-image and is wrapped up in that, it's... It's over, and so it was in the pit that Joseph discovered his strengths and his weaknesses. The second thing is this, is adversity not only reveals the truth about you, but it reveals the truth about others. Joseph and his brothers went through the same adversity, raised in a dysfunctional home, raised in a home where one brother was loved more than the others, and, and it had to be awful. It had to be awful for all of them. But both handled adversity differently. The brothers came out bitter. The brothers came out never processing out through it. Joseph became faithful to God, pulled closer to him. But adversity reveals the truth about me and it reveals the truth about others. See, the truth is this. Joseph knew his brothers hated him. Joseph knew his brothers hated him. Joseph knew that, that his brothers could not have a peaceful word is what the scripture says with him. So Joseph was aware of that. But what Joseph did not know is his brothers were capable of murder. He didn't know. He didn't know that they were capable of wanting to take his life. You see, see Joseph with the code and some things that just needed to go in the pit is Joseph needed the 
approval of people. Because he had been raised under that where a dad was, he was his favorite. And he needed the approval of, of people. And can, can I just tell you this? If you need the approval of people, you will never accomplish what God has called you to accomplish. You do what God has called you to do, there will be people that will not understand you. There are people that will criticize you. There are people that will talk about you. And if you need the approval of people, if you're holding on to the approval of people more than you hold on to him, if what people say about you is more important than what he says about you, then you will never, you'll never accomplish and you'll never do what he's called you to do. Billy Graham would say this, says the most dangerous thing to do in ministry is to stop ministry and begin to answer your critics. It has sucked the life. It has sucked the life out of it. Can, can I just tell you that when I entered ministry, I struggled with that aspect. And it's a miserable existence. And this morning, if you struggle with that, you will never find peace. You will never find meaning in life and purpose. Until you, we're here. Psalms 118.8 says this. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. And have you ever noticed people can love you one day and hate you the next? The truth is, God needed to strip some things off of Joseph in that pit so he could accomplish what he needed to accomplish. The third thing is this, is that we've got to realize that adversity is limited by God. God is sovereign and God is in control. Can you imagine with me again, Joseph in the pit? No food, no water, no way he can get out. And everything for him, in his view, is hopeless, but Regardless of how deep the pitch you're in, God's love is deeper than the pitch you're in. And you never know when you go through adversity when the tide is going to change, when there's going to be a turn, and the same is true in Joseph's life. All of a sudden, his brothers lifted him out of the pit and sold him in slavery and on to Egypt that would accomplish ultimately God's will for, for Joseph's life. When you're in adversity, when you're in the pit, you never know when the tide's going to change. That's why Galatians says, do not become weary in doing good. Because if you don't give up, man, you'll reap a harvest. Just don't give up. If someone had told Joseph a week before that that your brothers hate you to the level they're going to throw you in a pit and they're going to try to kill you, Joseph probably would have said, you know what? I'll do anything I can not to have to go through that experience. But looking back on it, God developed some things in Joseph's life. Listen, there's some adversity. There's some dark times of my life. There's some pretty deep pits that I have been in in my life. And I wouldn't want to ever have to go through them again. But I tell you what, I can look back on them and I can thank God for them. The last thing is this, is that we've got to realize when adversity comes, it accomplishes God's will. The very thing that Joseph and others may have thought would have stopped God's will from happening actually worked to accomplish 
God's will. And God used some critics in Joseph's life. And Have you ever thought about thanking your critics? God used some critics in Joseph's life. God used adversity in Joseph's life. And God uses adversity in your life. Rather, adversity in your life came in a time where you met Christ or where the adversity came in your life to where you learned to put greater trust in him. But the truth is this. We may not like it. It may not be comfortable. But God will use adversity in your life if you will allow him. Will you bow your heads with me?